Welcome to the Dear Menopause podcast, where we discuss the menopause transition to help make everyday life a little easier for women. Hey, I'm Sonia Lovell and I am your host. Today, we will be chatting with Dr. Fiona Lee. Fiona is completing her PhD in management of postmenopausal vaginal symptoms with the Grace team at UNSW in Sydney. Don't get freaked out though. This is a really, really cool conversation. Fiona is young. She is funny. She is whip smart and her research is fascinating. You're going to learn so, so much from this chat with Fiona. Enjoy. Hey, Fiona, welcome to Dear Menopause. Thanks so much for having me today, Sonia. Really excited to be here. I'm excited to have you here. Why don't you give yourself a little bit of an intro um, so that everybody gets an idea of who Fiona Lee is? Absolutely. Um, So my name is Fiona. I am an obstetric and gynecology trainee in Sydney, and I'm also doing a PhD with UNSW Sydney uh, in menopause. Really passionate about menopause and have been uh, since I was in med school, um, which is when I started doing some of this research in this area, um, in particular focusing on management of vaginal symptoms in menopause. I think I've taken quite an interest, especially over the years, talking to a lot of women going through this journey, because I can see how much stigma I think women feel when it comes to this area and also how much fear I think there is talking about some of these things. Um, And so I've become increasingly more interested in trying to find some answers and breaking some of these barriers to having these conversations and making it more comfortable for women moving forward. Which is such exciting news. I mean, it's so incredibly exciting to know that there are women like you out there doing this, you know, research and are choosing to, um, you know, specialize in menopause. Uh, You and I met when I was referred to you to to take part in a study or a a survey that you were um, doing as a part of your PhD. Um, And then by the end of that, we'd had a chat and I was like, oh my gosh, you totally need to come onto the podcast because I really wanted my listeners and to know that this, this work is being done because, you know, so many conversations I have with women, you know, just in general, but also listeners of the podcast, there's this feeling of, I guess, um, disappointment Mm. and almost a bit of downheartedness, you know, Mm. oh, but nothing's being done and nothing's changing. It's, you know, it's all doom and gloom. And I often feel like I'm like this cheerleader kind of going, no, no, (laughs) there is stuff happening. It is changing. There is a shift. It's, it's slow. It takes time. The wheels are turning, but, but I promise there's stuff happening. You just can't see it. (laughs) And then, you know, I, so to get the opportunity, to bring on someone like you um, to actually like really pull back the curtains and shine a light on the fact that this this amazing work is being done. And, you know, Fiona, we're on Zoom. So one of the things that I, I kind of also want to, you know, not not kind of embarrass you, but, but I also want to highlight like you are younger than most of my guests on on the um on the show i want to highlight that you know you're not a woman in her you know 50s or 60s that's deciding to to shine a light on menopause because you've experienced it you're someone that's coming through right at the beginning of your career and choosing to highlight menopause 
That's right. Well, I'm in my late 20s. And I think um, certainly I, I met with a lot of surprise from a lot of women. Um, obviously, my patients majority are sort of middle-aged or sort of getting there. A lot of my menopause patients, obviously, um, some of them are well into um, their later decades as well. Um, and I think some women do initially feel that sort of tension of like, oh, but you're so young. How can you understand what I'm going through? Um, but I think the most important thing, particularly coming as a medical practitioner or as a doctor and any sort of health practitioner is that, you know, we do a lot of this stuff and we very well, I mean, I'd hope we try to be open-minded and we're trying to understand the experience of our patients. And I think it's that knowledge and trying to work with our patients in providing that care and understanding that suits whatever our patient is coming with. That's actually probably the most important thing. Um, not even just, I mean, to bring a bit of personal experience probably does change some of how we perceive that and how we interact with our patients. But so much of what I understand is actually just from what my patients tell me from the experiences that they're sharing with me. And that is so invaluable to how I practice as a doctor. So I think that's where a lot of that comes from as well. Yeah. Yeah. And that's awesome because you're so right. We can't rely on only finding doctors to support women that have experienced menopause. You know, mm. it would be a little bit like only finding a doctor to support you that had experienced cancer. You know, yeah. that that literally can't happen, you know. So, yeah, and, and, you know, unfortunately we talk about this often on the podcast. We do have this global education gap when it does come to menopause and our GPs and, um, you know, many, I guess, many GPs in, you know, practice out in the public um, in in the more kind of, you know, your neighbourhood clinics are uh, tend to be the older kind of, you know, maybe they've been through, I don't know a lot about the, the career of doctors, but they've probably been through their phases working in the hospitals and then they've, you know, perhaps had families and then they've settled down into that kind of GP practice mode. Is that kind of how it tends to work? Yeah. So you're not necessarily coming across the doctors your age. Um, so therefore you're not speaking to the younger um, GPs. So I think it's it's so great to have a conversation with someone your age that is really focusing in on menopause. So let's talk then about what you're learning, what the surveys you've been doing uh, what you've learned as a result of that. Obviously, I know that your results aren't out, so this is just going to be anecdotal um, for now. Yeah. So in terms of my PhD, actually one of the biggest studies that we've done is focusing on um, a fractional carbon dioxide laser. Some people know it as the Mona Lisa Touch. There's a few other brands on the market. Um, and so we've actually performed one of the world's first largest randomised trials where the women who have very kindly dedicated their time and efforts um, to our study uh, weren't told what group they were in, so whether they were receiving the laser active treatment or a placebo inactive treatment. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, we went through a trial that went for a year um, with a standard course of the laser, which is usually three treatments a month apart. Um, and then we followed them up um, and tried to figure out uh, how, how it impacted their vaginal symptoms of menopause. And I think there was so much hope around this um, treatment 
this is a treatment that was introduced in um, around 2012, uh, has mm-hmm. worldwide uptake, has been really touted as a game changer, especially for breast cancer patients. You know, mm-hmm. women can't use hormone treatments, but also yes. for, you know, women who've gone through natural menopause, who have tried so many treatments. You know, we we know you go through trying lubricants, moisturizers, uh, ovestin cream, endless pessaries, all that mess. Um, all that kind of stuff. Um, so I think laser was, you know, it was pretty hopeful that this would be a you know, miracle treatment. But uh, I think one of the red flags as investigators or sort of even as doctors and clinicians uh, that we felt was, you know, sometimes things can be, can sound too good to be true. And unfortunately, yeah. that's, that is what our results have shown. So this is the sort of the strongest design of a study that we could possibly have, where we try and take as much bias out of the study as possible. We found that the laser group and the placebo group had basically the same results. So the the outcome was that there was no difference between the two groups. And the main uh, um, outcomes that we focused on was what women experienced in terms of their vaginal symptoms. So we asked them about painful sex, about burning, dryness down below, and then overall how they felt um, the vaginal symptoms and the severity was, and then also how this affected their quality of life, how this affected their sexual function, all sort of all the things that are key to, I think, what women really come to a doctor to ask about and why they're seeking these treatments. So that's really sort of the crux um, and the underlying part of this study um, of my PhD to begin with. And this has then led on to sort of other questions. So now my next question is, so how do women feel about this information? How does this affect them? Do they still want a treatment that costs quite a lot, you know, several thousand dollars a year um, if they know that there might only be a really small difference? And then what is the cost that they're willing to pay um, and what kind of features about a treatment or characteristics um, and things um, about a treatment do they want? Um, what's important to women? And hopefully by answering all of these questions and exploring this, um, I'm hoping that this information will help women, but also help to educate, like we said, other medical practitioners whose specialty is in menopause. Um, you know, we can't have everyone specialized in menopause. We need somebody. <laughs> um, but hopefully some of this information will empower um, all the clinicians involved in women's health to be able to help women to, you know, travel through this journey and have the best evidence-based information to make decisions about their care. Yeah, fantastic. And even if it's just enough to have a clinician ask the question before the patient asks the question <laughs> to prompt it, because I know from my personal experience, and you know, you and I have talked about this, and I've talked about this on the podcast before with my dermatologist, and when I had her on and we talked, and just with other random guests, um, Sandy Davis, who was on from Happy Paws, for me, and I know that other women experience this as well, it was a really difficult conversation to have with my GP. It, you know, it's a very intimate part of your body and it's a little bit embarrassing to kind of go in and say, hey, I've got this issue <laughs> with my <laughs> vagina. <laughs> and um, yeah, there's discomfort and shame and fear and all sorts of things, you know, all kinds of wrapped up in that. So if 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 we have clinicians and doctors educated enough to the point where they can kind of ask the question or, you know, or even draw the information out of the patient in a way that is comfortable for the patient, I think that would even be a huge start. 
Absolutely. I think like really with my research, I kind of have an ulterior motive. And my view is that, you know, the more that people hear about stuff, the more it gets normalized, right? I mean, we see things on social media, you know, the more information we're bombarded with, it becomes normal. It becomes part of our culture. So I feel like if we're able just to like absolutely swamp research um, and get all of this information out there and people are reading it all the time, seeing it all the time, then also doctors and women are going to feel a bit more comfortable and realise that this is just becoming part of our culture and that it's okay to talk about this stuff. We need to talk about this stuff. You know, moving forward, we need to get rid of so many of these barriers. Women are living longer and we need to live better um, mm-hmm. and we do not need to live in the shadows um, and fear of talking about sex and fear of talking about vaginas and dryness and discomfort. This is not how we should be living. And this is what I love about your generation. This is a huge, and, and you know, you're laughing, <laughs> but it, I truly <laughs> believe that this is a big differentiation differentiator. Okay. Wow. Stumbling <laughs> on my words this morning. Um, this is something that I see as um, a, a significant difference. That's a better word for me um, between my generation and your generation. And I see this with my kids um, that there is less fear and stigma around speaking about these topics. And it's what fills me with hope for, you know, the work that I'm doing and many others, you know, that are so much better than me at this, um, in this space are doing is so that your generation, the generations that come behind you won't have to be having these conversations because you're already so much more comfortable with them, but we will have laid so much groundwork for you that they just won't exist. You know, you won't, have to worry about them. Exactly. I think we have been able to get to this point because generations before us have been able to lay that groundwork and get us here. Um, And, like, it's undeniable. Like, we we wouldn't have been here had it not been generations before us who tried to break some of these barriers. And women like you, you know, pioneering this stuff, we need to have that courage to speak about it um, and in order to change that culture. And hopefully, yeah, I hope that I'll be able to pass on and hopefully generations after me won't even be having this conversation anymore. No, exactly. It won't (laughs) even be a conversation. It'll just be so ingrained as, um, you know, a part of a woman's experience, experience as part of society's experience. Yeah, yeah, it's just exactly. life. Yeah, exactly. So I was going to ask you, I think we've just randomly touched on that anyway, <laughs> um, what your hopes are as somebody that is embedded in the research side of um, medicine and, you know, women's health, your hopes for, you know, what women can expect to experience in the future when it comes to menopause care? Yeah, I think that's a great question because I think um, even if you look at the last five to ten years, even I think so much has changed in the menis- um, in the menopause sphere. Um, there are so many more services. There's so much more research. There's so much more acknowledgement. Money from the budget going in from the Australian government. I think these are all really positive changes. And there's always going to be more to be done. But I think it's always important to acknowledge the positives of what we have sort of been able to achieve so far. I think this leaves me to hope that um, all these women I've spoken to over my very short career so far um, who've told me about their fears and these difficult experiences they've had and often, you know, scarring conversations they've had, you know, Mm. where they have asked and brought it up, had to work up that courage for weeks leading up to seeing their GP, gynecologist, nurse, whoever it is they've seen and then being a bit shut down or made to feel a bit um, silly or ridiculous. Yeah. And I think I'm really hopeful 
hopeful that, again, as this conversation changes, um, women will feel like they're being received um, with, you know, informed clinicians, people who are welcoming this conversation, but also that um, hopefully that clinicians will also start to feel a bit more comfortable um, knowing that they are equipped with the skills to be able to have this conversation, that they have the information to give. Because I think sometimes it's a bit of a two-way thing. Sometimes Mm. people don't. um, Some clinicians may not feel that uh, this is their specialty. They might not see it very much. They might not know what to do. And so they might see it as, oh, I don't really have very much to offer. And so I'm not really sure where to send you. And sometimes that might be the barrier as to why they've had that response uh, to a patient. And so hopefully if everyone comes with a bit more information on board, we'll be able to change that conversation. I think what we're seeing as well, lots more research. So I'm really hoping that there'll be a lot more evidence and also a lot more research into new innovations. So I'm hoping that there'll be more treatments coming out in the future. And so whether that be safer hormones or sort of um, different medications or changing the criteria and understanding more about who can have hormones and how we can keep it safe, um, which is already changing rapidly if you look at the last 20 years, right? Well, even if we look at, um, I was just going to say, you know, we've had the announcement recently of the FDA approving the first um, new drug to come out, I think, you know, that I'm aware of Hmm. uh, that's, and I can't pronounce the name of it, but it's the new drug that is not hormone dependent for treating um, hot flushes. So Hmm. this is um, a huge win for women like myself that were unable to take any of the hormone therapies. Yeah. because it works on the neurological um, pathways um, and it's just been passed by the FDA in the state. So obviously, you know, we have to go through our own process here in Australia, but um, you know, it's, it's, it's a techno- technological win, I guess, in that respect. And that, you know, that's exciting. That's the new technology that's coming out. That's a new treatment that's going to be available. Yeah. Um, you know, that within itself is a win. And yes, like you say, even in the last 20 years, you know, MHT, HRT, everybody refers to it differently in Australia. We do call it MHT, but um, you know, that has been dramatically overhauled in the last 20 years. Thank goodness. Yeah. All those attitudes. And as more information comes out, we feel more comfortable about where the limitations are and how to use it safely. So all of those attitudes are changing. And I think, um, yeah, new innovations, like you said, um, I think, you know, things like laser and, you know, you know there are other things like we spoke about, um, like mm-hmm. things like the O-Shot and mm-hmm. other technologies, you know, other things that people are coming up with. I welcome all those sort of new, inf- like sort of new ideas and innovations because I think it opens the potential um, for new treatment and new options for women. And I think that's fantastic. Um, the most important thing, though, being that we get good evidence before yeah, yeah. we disseminate, um, before we potentially cause harm. And so I think that's my only caveat that we make sure that research continues in this area to make sure that we are, you know, providing good treatments that we're not causing harm to women on a lot, particularly on a large scale. And we're not also not taking advantage of women um, mm. in a really tricky time when, you know, you really feel very vulnerable with these symptoms, especially if you're still not feeling comfortable and they're not sitting well with you um, and you're finding it hard to find a conversation and start the conversation with somebody. So I think that's really important. Yeah, and I feel very much like we're on a little bit of a an edge at the moment where there is the potential for that being taken advantage of mm. 
is, you know, almost a little bit of dangerous territory. You know, the Mm. conversation has been cracked wide open. You know, there is obviously a lot more women now seeking um, support and treatments and more curious and open to options. Mm. But that does often open the door for um, people that perhaps aren't as evidence-based or, um, you know, are a little bit less scrupulous to present opportunities that um, can cause harm and Mm. aren't as ethical. Yeah. And we just, as consumers, have to learn to be, um, you know, very uh, conscious and, and, you know, educated about what choices we make. Yeah, exactly. And it's hard. There's so much information out there. Yeah. Um, So, so much. Um, And even as somebody who comes from a medical background, sometimes I can have a lot of trouble sifting through what, is good evidence and what seems a little bit dodgy. And what's just good marketing. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. And so much of it is. A lot of it is yeah. good marketing. And so it then comes down to having to really understand and break down the nuances behind um, how a study has been performed, where they're getting the statistics, where they're getting that research. And I think that's then where a doctor can be really helpful because with our training, part of it is about translating that information into something that can be um, easily understood and imp- like where the important messages can be uh, communicated to our patients. And so that is where speaking to your healthcare practitioner, but also as a researcher, making that information easier to access for our consumers yeah. um, is going to be really important. And so yeah, I, do- I think that's know. really key. Uh, yeah, yeah I think that myself having a really important role in that area as well. Yeah, and I, I think that's great that you are as a researcher and your research community are recognizing that. It's a conversation I was actually having with someone yesterday. You know, we were having this conversation about how we recognized that we are privileged in many ways because mm. we're, you know, we're medically literate, you know, educated women that can decipher all the information in front of us to make good choices. And we also live in a city where we have um, opportunities to, you know, shop for good doctors. You know, if you're in a minority, if you're not from an English-speaking background, Mm -hmm. if you live regionally or remotely, those all of those um, things just become harder and harder for you, particularly in Australia, obviously. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Fiona, this has been such a great chat. I um, would like to finish with, well, I've got two last questions for you. First of all, while we're on um, Keep On Topic, how can women that are listening that want to contribute to the research that you are doing, how can they um, keep, you know, help you out? How can they stay in touch with you? Absolutely. There's always so much opportunity. And so I work with a group called the Grace Research Team at the UNSW Sydney, and we predominantly focus on in benign gynecology, um, which includes menopause, and also other topics like endometriosis and other research. So we do have a website, um, which I think will be posted um, in the bio. Um, so if you're in the show notes, you have Grace. Yep. If you look up UNSW Grace, um, we have a lot of information there. Um, and you can always reach out uh, to graceresearch at unsw.edu.au. That's our email. And if you want to contribute um, to any of our research, if you're interested in hearing any about any of our research studies, um, 
reach out. Um, we're more than happy to provide um, any uh, sort of direction as well, um, any advice um, about any of the studies we've um, sort of performed in the past. So we love sharing our research. Um, we are a super passionate group um, made up of um, a lot of leading clinicians in this area. So it's a really great group to be part of. Awesome. I love your passion when you speak about the group that you're involved in. That's fantastic. I will link um, the website, your email address, um, all through in the show notes. The other thing that um, we'll mention is that the results of the survey around the Mona Lisa Touch will be available at the closer to the end of 2023. Uh, We're recording this kind of about mid-year. When those um, results are available, I'll update the show notes and there'll be a link in there through to those survey results for anyone that is interested. Um, And I'll um, advise through social media and my newsletter and we'll um, re-publish the, or we won't re-publish, but I'll re-promote the episode as well. Um, So that will be um, available to anyone that is interested specifically in that, that piece of research, which um, I think is amazing. Um, All right, Fiona, to tie things up, I'm going to hit you with my favourite question. And this will be interesting because you fall into um, an age group I don't usually have on here. So what are you reading, listening to, or watching right now that is bringing you joy? Oh, so pleased you asked. I didn't even know you are going to ask me this question. I'm going to show you. I'm going to bring it up. I am listening to a podcast called um how to fail with elizabeth day how to fail with elizabeth day yeah okay who is elizabeth day because i don't know who elizabeth day is so i've only had a couple of episodes and i think elizabeth is maybe a journalist she's british um and essentially through this podcast um there's actually heaps of episodes i'm gonna take my time going through it she interviews amazing incredible people um for example i recently listened to um her interview jay shetty um mm-hmm. and they talk about um the failures in their life and how uh, um that cool. or how it's impacted them how it's changed their habits and i think that's been a really quite incredible insight to get into a lot yeah. of really sort of high achieving functioning people's lives but such a flip on what they would normally be interviewed oh. on. So talking about their failures as opposed to their yeah. successes. Incredible. Yeah. It's and really that's where the learnings come from, isn't it? It's from our failures. Right. Absolutely. Um, cool. Liz, uh, yeah, where you're going to get a lot of your teaching from. Yeah. So we should also view them as successes. <laughs> True. I love that. Okay, cool. So How to Fail with Elizabeth Day is a podcast. All right. I'm yeah. going to link through to that in the show notes as well. Good tip. I love that. Sounds great. (laughs) Awesome. Fiona, thank you so, so much for your time. I love everything that you are doing. I love your energy. I love your passion. Um, Thank you so much for coming on to Dear Menopause and sharing with us. Thanks so much for having me, Sonia. And I love what we're doing here, getting this conversation out. I um, love contributing to this area and I really hope we'll be able to break some of these barriers. Thank you for listening today. I am so grateful to have these conversations with incredible women and experts. And I'm grateful that you chose to hit play on this episode of Dear Menopause. If you have a minute of time today, please leave a rating or a review. I would love to hear from you because you are my biggest driver for doing this work. If this chat went way too fast for you and you want more, head over to stellawomen.com.au slash podcast for the show notes 
And while you're there, take my midlife quiz to see why it feels like midlife is messing with your head. 